Welcome to the It's Become a Whole Thing podcast with me, your host, Emily Rose, where we take a subversive look at all the celebrity gossip you want and some you never knew you needed. We'll take a deep dive into the hidden meanings of what's really going on in the world of pop culture, because here we contain multitudes and read between the lines. Join me. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the It's Become a Whole Thing podcast. I'm your host, Emily Rose. And if you're new here, you probably have a pretty good idea of what we do around here, here at Whole Thing Industries. But basically, we obsessively leave no stone left unturned in the world of pop culture and just kind of zeitgeisty stuff. You know, we get into... um, a little bit of cults, a little bit of uh, debunking new age wellness myths, you know, just stuff that's fun and fresh and interesting to uh, put on blast. So I have such a great guest lined up for you guys today. One of my favorite people to talk to, Molly McPherson. She's the expert in all things PR crisis and PR crisis communications, rather. She has her own firm. She deals with private citizens having their own crisis in their personal life or their business. She helps to take them in, sort them out, weather the storm, and she applies her expertise to the world of pop culture. So we get to break down all the latest kind of like scandals that we've seen various celebrities going through, and we get to have her take on how they handled it or how they didn't handle it. You know, we get into my favorite girl boss, Rachel Hollis, um, Alex Jones's latest testimony, TikTokers getting cease and desist letters. Like, just we cover a gamut of topics. Like, Molly's one of those people, honestly, that the fact that she's just willing to sit down and have these chats with me um, and, and that I get to pick her brain, like, it makes me feel like I'm doing something right. She's just, yeah, that, that's how I walk away from our chats. And for anyone who hasn't heard, we did an episode together, episode 18, I believe, um, similar format, just analyzing the mess that we see in front of us and uh, all that good stuff that we love around here. Uh, for the Patreon this week, we have Sammy P back. We have had tens of thousands of you asking for her back. And by the... <laughs> We don't have tens of thousands of listeners yet, but um, I know a lot of you are excited to have her back on the pod and what a great day that will be that's coming out on Wednesday. We are going to be shining a spotlight on Jerry and Jessica Seinfeld. So we are going to be doing what we do, putting them on blast, digging up all the dirt, which is uh, abundant in this case, I'll just say. Uh, so if you're interested in signing up, uh, it, the link is in the show notes, patreon.com. It's become a whole thing. It's $5 a month. Um, get an extra episode every week. You know, you know what it is. And yeah, other than that, um, I just humbly ask if you could subscribe, download the episode. If you're liking what you hear, rating it five stars. Um, I asked you guys to help me get to 300 reviews on Spotify and you did. Um, and I love you for that. So yeah, I mean, I don't ask for much. All I ask for is a steady stream of external validation from you guys. So thank you for providing that. Uh, all right. Well, without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Okay, and we're back with one of my favorite guests to interview. We're here with Molly McPherson, PR crisis communication expert extraordinaire. Hi, Molly. I thought you were going to say queen. You had that alliteration going. Well, I I got lost. Extraordinaire. I got lost. I got lost in how many words were in there. I'm like. (laughs) It works. It works. Hello. I'm always excited to speak with you. Well, yeah, I will say I'll add an asterisk and I'll, I'll add a queen to that. Just just queen of all things PR crisis communication. It's true. Oh, I, I don't know, but I have a lot to talk about. I'll say that. So you do have a lot to talk about. And for anyone who's new here, um, this is a comment that I got. I got a message a while back that really describes what you bring to the table, which they were like, hey, love the podcast. Um I send all my friends the episode you did with Molly. And I'm like, once you listen to this, you'll be hooked. And I'm like, yep. Oh, that's fabulous. That is such a compliment because it's the successful merging of both of our, I don't even want to say the word brand because it sounds like we're marketers, but both of our passions Yeah, and you know, what excites us, you know, coming together. So I love hearing that. Thanks, Emily. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and, and I love to like, you know, you work with 
everyday people, so businesses and and private citizens, but then you show up on TikTok and you kind of merge that with pop culture and you analyze uh, various messes from your expert lens. Yes. <laughs> and and so we're going to get into like some specific examples that have been just floating around in the ether lately. Um, but first, like before we get into any specifics, I had this in mind where I was thinking about just like an overview of, let's say I called you up. Let's say tomorrow I get quote unquote canceled, which, you know, I don't really believe in cancel culture, but like, yeah. I, I, I'm like, Molly, I've, I'm being canceled right now. Like, what is step one? Like, what would you do with that? Well, Emily, the timing of it is is interesting here because I have opened up PR coaching now, that one-on-one coaching, because this year I've decided to um, come off the road to be home with my kids. Uh, I was I was just traveling a lot. And I just added, you know, on my link tree, you know, I'm just going to put coaching in there because I wanted, I had so many people from TikTok asking for help. I, I was being overwhelmed with all these emails. So I thought, you know what, I'm just going to like open a door, put a shingle out for PR coaching. So I, I just took an opportunity to to open up the door to help people one-on-one because it doesn't matter if you're a big corporation or just one person. There's usually one person behind a crisis, you know, one mistake behind a crisis. And I know that you had said that you don't believe in cancel culture and I don't believe in it in a certain sense as well. However, the people who I've been speaking to about what is happening to them is they're facing some type of blowback. They're worried, they're stressed because something happened or someone has perceived that something has happened and they don't know what to say. And so much of my work, it doesn't matter if it's big business, big corporate level, huge company or one person. When you feel like someone's out to get you, it sucks and you need to know what to say. And that's what I've been helping people just put together a strategic plan with some, with a little framework for how to walk yourself out and talk yourself out of a crisis. Well, okay. Yeah. And you bring up a good point because I should say that with the caveat that I don't believe in cancel culture and that like just the word cancel, it's like you cancel your subscription, it's done. So like cancel being like, there's a problem. People are mad. You're done. Your career is done. Like that's what I don't believe that that is the case based on like what we see, but that doesn't mean like there's not a reckoning or there's a, has to be a shift to your career. Like there's nuance to it, but I'm saying like, when I say I don't believe in cancel culture, I mean like the people that are like, everyone's too sensitive these days. Like Yes, Emily. And that's my point. Like you don't believe in it. Like I don't believe in it. Like there is a retribution cycle where people who do not take accountability for something they've done, they rightfully get brought down, you know, i.e. canceled. Um, That happens, but people have this misconception that it's just a mob of people that that just decide to pick on someone and bring them down. With pitchforks. And that's not the case. Exactly. So you and I are on the same wavelength on this. And I know that you did not bring this up in our what we're going to talk about today, but I just posted this TikTok about one of our favorites, Rachel Hollis, who is explaining her interpretation of the cancel culture. And she couldn't be more incorrect and wrong about what it is. Like the dripping irony of her explaining what she thinks cancel culture is, isn't yet in her explanation is why she's canceled. Oh my God. Okay. I need to unravel that. Okay. As they say in the corporate world, let's put a pin in that and circle back um, nearly <laughs> yes. immediately. Yeah. For any, for listeners, just for a little background here, I we had a whole uh, outline for the episode. I've gone completely off script because I just had a thinky thought that occurred to me about what, what would be like, I guess, what would be your initial conversation with someone who's like, I'm here, I'm in the middle of a crisis, where do I start? Do you have sort of your your yes, like- I do, I do. I have honed it down, like with all of my clients and now with these one-on-one clients um, who I'm working with now. Do you start by saying deep breath? Well, first we start with the email where I do want to get a little intel because I need background on what is happening. Like, what what am I coming into? Because I want to decide, you know, which bucket is this going into? Is it someone who is wrongfully accused of something or is it someone 
who is being accused for something that they did, but there's there's a path to redemption there. So I want to find out exactly what we're dealing with. And then when I start talking to them, the first part of it is I need to hear it from them. I need them to tell it back to me because the only thing I'm looking for is, do I believe this person? Okay. So I consider myself a reasonable person. And that is a term that I look for. Would a reasonable person believe what this person has to say? And that's usually the case because otherwise they wouldn't call me. I always get the same type of people. So would you not take on a client who you felt was being duplicitous or that like they're canceled because they were like doing something horrible? Yeah. So I do get that question a lot. And most people who come to me come to me for a reason, because even though I'm, I, I work in crisis communication and I help people get out of, you know, problems and their PR crises. I do have, I think, a very strong value system there. Like, you know, I'm very WYSIWYG. You, what you see is what you get with me. I am not your manipulator fixer. I am not going to call the press, try and bury something. I'm not going to help you lie your way out of it. It goes against everything I believe in. But also, you cannot get out of any PR crisis nowadays in 2020 with lying and manipulation. Someone will find you out. So I am the person who tells you we have to admit it up front, like what happened? We have to own what happened. I'm going to give you the words that you need to use um, for that to make you feel comfortable to tell the truth. And all we need to get to, you don't have to completely clear it. You know, this isn't like a 15 foot bar that we have to clear. We just have to clear a little bit of a bar where the group in the middle, like reasonable everyday people believe your story. And then you start to work your way through it. But what people get caught up is they're so worried about the extreme, the people who hate them, and then they're too nervous to do anything, or the people who love them and they don't think they have any problems. Those that We don't want to think like that. We just want to think about the reasonable people down the middle. Okay. Yeah. I'm thinking of like those graphs, like the scatter plots where it's like, you're worried about like the noisiest outliers. Cause like even the people that yes. love you are going to be the loudest, like the people that love you no matter what, they're going to be like in your ear, like, Oh my God, no, don't worry. Keep going. Queen, whatever. Yes. Um, queen. Exactly. <laughs> yes, You're queen. yes people, right? You're yes yeah. people. Exactly. Oh, yeah. it's nothing. Don't worry about it. It's stupid people on the internet. You're fine. You're fine. You're fine. Those are the most dangerous people. Yeah. And it's like, you are this reasonable person and it's like you're representing the average reasonable person who's just going to be kind of proudly, proudly, who's just going to like interpret this in the most like normal way possible, which is like, you know, a little bit of skepticism, but also like looking at it being like, yes, we all have bad days, you know. Absolutely. And and I think the reason why I have success in the field that I do is because it sounds so trite. I'm a middle child. I'm a member of Gen X. I'm from the Midwest. I grew up in the Twin Cities. Everything about me is so middle and ordinary. And I could, I am right down the middle and I can see both sides. I, I am, I have this duality that I'm, I'm able to do it both ways. So I need people to come to the middle with me. And we, that's how you plow through it. And you have to use, you have to use truth and trust. And if you don't, you'll be crushed. I love this. That should be on your like website and <laughs> like <laughs> Molly in the middle. Yeah. No, but I love that. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, it's well, so guess, true though. I guess my success, well, success, quote unquote, uh, comes from like just being uh, a middle child and like falsely believing that everything you have to say is fascinating, um, <gasps> which is completely could not be further from the truth. But when you're like the one kid, you just have all the adults' attention. So you're like, <laughs> oh <laughs> like, no, me? We grew. I grew up with no attention, latchkey. No one cares about middle kids. So we have to find our own interesting path. Uh, yeah, I had to like, okay, we're getting a little off track. Oh, I'll bring it back. But like, yeah. um, when you're an only child, like, I really believe that you have to learn very basic social skills that like a lot of people learn when they're five, you have to learn like kind of in your 20s of just like, sharing, not interrupting, like not everything you have to say is fascinating. And so like, I have worked my hardest to like deeply repress those qualities. That's like, look at me, look at me. <laughs> and, and I feel like that kind of gets to like emerge a little bit with my TikTok and with my podcast right? because I'm just like, Oh my God. Uh, on some level, it's like a little self-indulgent to be talking, just he talking. <gasps> oh, like Emily, I know. I feel the same way. My middle child in me says the same thing. Like, does, <laughs> is anyone even listening to me? And who am I to think that anyone's going to listen to me? Please. I'm just talking into the void for hours <laughs> a week. Like, come on. It's like ridiculous. <laughs> but anyway, it's not about me. Um, so, okay. So I want to get back to 
you kind of outlined your step one, two, three of when people come to you. And mm-hmm. it's interesting because that was going to be my next question of like this whole concept of you have this idea of never lying in a PR crisis. And why do you, why do you push that agenda? <laughs> why, why do you have that? Why do I push at, honesty? Yeah. <laughs> transparency. I don't but know. Like, <laughs> 16 years of Catholic school. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because it doesn't work. And crisis communication is no different than human communication. Okay. It's the same thing. It's Mm -hmm. understanding people. And, and part of my, not just the middleness, but I think the reason why is why I, I, I tend to hone my skill is just going through life stories myself where I've, I've had to experience deception and I have to, I had to experience like what manipulation looks like and understand that. And when you can, when you can understand human behavior, why people say and do what they do to get out of situations. And also I can say this too, as a parent of four kids. So you're pretty wired on this at this point at my age. Um, but human behavior is, is always the key to understanding what that next step is going to be. I'm not looking at anything from a PR point of view. I'm looking at it from a human point of view. So that's why I can tell who is going to, who is going to clear the bar and who's going to stumble. It's just what they say and, and what they do when they're saying it. Right. It's sort of like, it's interesting because I kind of feel like your job is sort of like law adjacent where it's like a lawyer would like advocate for their client. But for a lawyer, it's kind of like you have to follow this strict legal code. And if there's like a loophole, it doesn't matter if people's bullshit detectors going off. Like if you found this loophole where it's like, oh, that evidence actually doesn't qualify, like throw it out. We've won the case. You could have something like that. But in your case, like it's just the court of public opinion. And so it's like, it's like if your bullshit detector's going off, then everyone's going off. Absolutely. Like there, there, I don't have the, the constraints of a courtroom, as you pointed out, but it is the court of public opinion. You're absolutely right, Aunt Emily. So the punishment is like someone may clear and not be charged on the stand and they're not going to jail. But if you are in publicity jail, if you're in reputational jail, that's a whole different level of hell. Like, especially if you're trying to, you know, get hired or get a movie or um, just make a buck. You can't do it anymore if people don't trust you. Yeah. Okay. This is like, <laughs> this just gets me going. This gets me like juiced. I love this <laughs> stuff. Um, I'm also just like, I'm glad you're out there in the world. Cause you're kind of like, it's like your job also is to like cut through the bullshit. You're just like, you're, you're saying what would seem obvious to everyone but like I guess it's also not when you're in the middle of a crisis to just like be honest and just be upfront and try to correct your mistakes like I could see people kind of going into panic mode and just losing sight of the fact that like people are pretty smart and will pick up you know if you're bullshitting the whole thing um I wanted to go back to when you talked about Rachel Hollis so I didn't see her latest shenanigans. But like, can you tell me about it? Because she's my favorite girl boss. And by favorite, I mean, she is truly, it's like the dumpster fire that I can't look away from. I, I Oh my gosh, I can't either. And and I, I don't know why I'm stuck on her. I know why I'm stuck on her. I'm not a fan. I never was a fan, but I am a fascinated fan by her. Like, her downfall has been so interesting to watch. And as I mentioned, it's all about human behavior. So that's why I find her and her ex-husband, Dave Hollis, just rich with examples of what not to do. So she's like, she's just like an old trustee, right? Like I can know as soon as Rachel opens her mouth to do an interview outside of her podcast, she's going to step in it and I can use it. So what she's been doing lately is she's going back on tour. So she's calling it Rach Talk Live, I believe. And it's based- And and by the way, for anyone who is new, she was this like self-help guru. She's like of basically this 2016 peak girl boss, like just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And she did these rise conferences that she was charging thousands and thousands for a ticket got canceled. If you want to hear more about that, I think we talked about it in our first episode we did together, but like, okay, so she's back at it. My good God. <laughs> I know my good God, the ego, you know, the ego, you know, she, I, I give her credit, you know, for having the hubris to do this, but so she is someone like a classic example of someone who was quote unquote canceled. You know, if the New York times runs a profile on your downfall, 
That's the definition of a cancellation. And she had all these fans and many of her fans now feel like she's a grifter because her and her ex-husband were charging exorbitant prices, you know, for marriage conferences. And they were talking to these women, primarily women, every single day about how you can achieve anything you want as a girl boss, have any marriage that you want while their marriage was falling apart. Well, and they fell apart. And then they were like, it's none of your business why I fell apart. Like, stop asking how dare you and it was like you literally how dare you 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 literally had your business you had a podcast books and a conference about how to have a happy marriage like us rachel and dave hall so like the audacity is it like that is one aspect that i am a little envious of like my if i just had a a bit of that audacity (laughs) she has like keep going (laughs) but you can't have it now and you know this too just because of the social media ecosystem 2016 was a year if you were a social media influencer the social media networks were playing in your favor the algorithms were all in your favor so all these bosses. So whether it's a Jay Shetty or a Rachel Hall, like all of them, even like a Tony Robbins, they were able to capture all of that power because of social media. But now the algorithm has changed. So we don't see those types of mega influencers anymore. And everybody kind of sees that except Rachel doesn't. And she keeps clinging to this idea that she has this invisible fan base of women out there that still worship her. So what came out, I saw it maybe late last night or early this morning, she was doing an interview. And so now she's doing these mini rise conferences. Like, and when I mean mini, I mean mini. And even the the forums she's using, they're big. These are big, um, I don't want to call them mega arenas, but, you know, significant size arenas uh, that you would go to to see a concert in these mid-sized towns thinking she was going to sell out and they are barely, barely selling. So she's quietly canceling dates and just changing the graphics, you know, her Canva graphics uh, to show that, you know, the, the numbers are dwindling, but she, she went on an interview trying to explain again what her interpretation of the cancel culture was. And again, it was that mom mentality, you know, they're just out to get me. And, you know, it was such a horrible thing that I went through and I know people are expecting me to own it. Like, yes, yes. You like, she just doesn't understand. And so it's interesting to watch her for someone in my business because it's, it's just proof of where we are and what the public expects of someone when they've made a mistake. And if you are going, and I, that's what I put in my TikTok. This is the hill that that uh, that careers die on in a PR crisis is when they cling to their narrative and they refuse to truly take accountability and ownership. It's the ultimate consequence. Yeah. Well, you know, to me, there's nothing to cling to because her narrative is what got her her fame. And that narrative is like a time capsule of like 2016 to maybe 2019. And like, for me, like why I like can't look away from her is because like every time she, she shows her face, like she pops in with like something brilliant that she thinks she has to say. It reminds me of like just how much things have shockingly changed in like such a short amount of time. Because like, just, it reminds me like, oh my God, literally a second ago, a blink of an eye, 2016, you could have a thin white woman stand up on their beautiful fancy vacation by the beach in Hawaii and and say like look at my stretch marks i am so brave and it makes them Blue millions up. of dollars and and part of that is like we were just so starved for authenticity and body the diversity like not just like thin airbrushed people but she was thin that's the i mean but it wasn't really uh something that existed and then also you could have someone hosts these conferences where you are not qualified as a therapist. No one there is qualified. You get everyone to stand up and trauma dump um, and then send them out into the world. No, you got to dance first. You have to dance first. You have to dance. And you also have to hear about how she woke up at 5 a.m. Conveniently. Oh yeah. Yeah. Of course. Of course. Of course. And, and like no one would dig and be like, your husband works for Disney and he funded this. Like, and now, and now like the first, the moment someone has a bit of success, people are piling over the details being like, are you a nepotism baby? Like, let's go. Is your like grandparent, like a worked at this record company? Like people are looking at everything with a fine tooth comb. And so everything she stands for, like no longer applies. Like she doesn't stand a chance. 
She does not stand a chance, but yet she still doesn't get it. And that's why you and I love this car crash because we know what's going to happen. Everybody knows what's going to happen. And also in 2016, we didn't have the Reddit culture. We didn't have the snark culture like we do today where people have the receipts. And if they don't have the receipts, they know where to find it. And that's where the, the Rachel, Dave Hollis's of the world, they don't understand they look at it as people just attacking them. Oh, and, and Rachel Hollis also said, these are people who are jealous of me. They look at celebrities, they're jealous of them, and they want to bring us down. No, no, sister, you're bringing yourself down. Yeah, who is they? Like, that? that's such a classic line by people that are just, you know, have that ego. I, I mean, it's the ego paired with the audacity. And it's making me think a bit of um, Hilaria Baldwin. So one of my other favorite oh. scandals. But it's like, I mean, also, I will say like, I just did a deep dive on on her and, and and Alec Baldwin a few weeks ago. I think she genuinely seems like a, a nice person. Like no one's had really anything negative to say about the way she's treated them, unlike Rachel Hollis. But for someone who has the audacity to fake a Spanish accent and identity for 10 years, is also going to have the audacity to do what she's doing now, which is just double and triple down on it and be like, nope, I don't care. Nope, I am Spanish. I- I am. I am. And you know what I think part of it is, is that the the person who was the most surprised by her Spanish accent, I think was Alec Baldwin. I think he believed it. He found out the same time everyone else did. Right. And so she said, I'm just going to go along with I'm just going to keep going. And you're right. That's audacity. It's why not? Why not? Yeah, at this point? Yeah, because like most people couldn't like imagine doubling down on it. But also most people wouldn't like fake a full on culture for years, <laughs> for years, for years. For yeah. years. Um, OK, so, yeah, I guess we'll just keep watching um, Rachel Hollis's flail, um, what, whatever the opposite of rise, which is like the name for <laughs> conferences. Her, Sink. Yeah, her her ongoing sinking. Um so I want to move on to this video that you put out about spotting a liar. Another one of my favorite topics as a discerning person slash Scorpio. Um, <laughs> we're kind of like, if there's a human lie detector in the Zodiac, it's us. Um, oh, okay. All right. Good to know. Yeah. I mean, I just, I, I love body language and I think it, it just tells you a lot. So you talked about spotting a liar vis-a-vis the whole Alex Jones testimony. Can you like mm-hmm. give a little recap of what you what you covered with that? Yeah. So how to spot a liar. Whenever I talk about it, I get nervous because my top rated. Oh, this is interesting. My top rated podcast for years was how to spot a liar until it was. <laughs> overtaken by Rachel Hollis's downfall. So she's now my number one because it shows how many people are fascinated by her. Um, But how to spot a liar. The reason why that comes into my world, obviously, um, many, you know, pre-pandemic, I would analyze press conferences. I would analyze media interviews. So just people in my business. I also worked as a media trainer in Washington, D.C., And I do media training in my business um, as well. So part of that is what are the optics that we're looking at? And and when I'm coaching clients, we talk about, you know, optics, like what are you wearing? Um, Are you sitting behind a desk or are you in front of a desk? Um, Are you closed in? Um, Are you, what are you doing with your hands? What are you doing with your face? And because I was working in that space, I'm also at the same time working with crisis communication, right? So if someone isn't being honest, it's going to show in nonverbal ways. So I've always been fascinated by it. And even from a law enforcement point of view. So I read all the books on how to spot a liar. My God, you're really, you're really my kind of person. Like I, I remember even when I was younger, before we had like the internet, the way it is now, I used to like, in like the first version of YouTube, I used to watch things like Bill Clinton saying that um, he did not have relations with that woman. Like I used to watch clips that I knew had been proven false and like try to pick up all the ways that they're like covering up their lie. Like that. Oh, see, I just, that's funny you said that. I did a podcast maybe six months ago about how to spot a lie in a PR response. And I use Bill Clinton, President Clinton, former President Clinton during the Mona Lewinsky stage where 
when they when they talk around the apology, you know how they're avoiding the apology with their, you know, wordsmithing, and it's it is fascinating. You're 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 my kind of people, Molly. I, like. I know. I, think, I was just in the car. I was driving into Boston, and I was telling someone, you know, back in the day in Boston, I remember watching TV interviews with men looking for their wives who have vanished, and I would tell like my roommates, "Oh, he did it. Look at him." Look, look, look at his eyes, look at his eyes, look at his hands, guilty. And they're like, how do you know I'm guilty? Sure enough. You know, two weeks later, they found the body of Mary Donahue in the back of the car. Um, So that's never left me. Same with Bill, like um, little things like, oh my God, it's so, it's almost embarrassing that I have this memorized, but like, it was my shining example. Like I did not have relations with that woman. Like people don't use contractions. They use like full words. And like that woman distancing himself, like not saying her name, like all those little things. I'm like, yes, that's exactly it with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. You're a hundred percent correct. And so the lie, sometimes it's difficult to determine, to discern what's a lie and what is a protest of someone who's telling the truth. And so it's not just how they look and what they say, but you really have to look for those tells, like you mentioned. They're distancing themselves from the truth. And how do they do that? They're going to say a a Ms. Lewinsky. They're not going to say Monica because that's too intimate. So those types of tells. So the Alex Jones um, clip The reason why that interests me is because we knew he was lying on the stand. Okay, so I was watching the clip on CNN, Alex Jones, who was being sued by families from Sandy Hook um, for millions of dollars because he was claiming it was false, that it never happened. It was a hoax. And they banded together and said no. So a few parents did that. So he was on the stand. And it was like one of those great... Uh, television drama, legal drama moments where, you know, his team accidentally sends his phone records to opposing counsel. I mean, how that even happens nowadays. So as the lawyer was dripping out this information and trying to pull it from, you know, he was backing him into a corner. So you could see it was so crystallized what it looks like when someone is on the hot seat and they're lying. So I just grabbed a clip from it to show the tells. Okay, so I want to get into like what you picked up on specifically. But first, I just want to say like with these kind of cases and same with like when I talk about PR couples, it's like if you want to like study this stuff on your own time, like you go to these extreme examples like Alex Jones, who's obviously I mean, I think anyone could probably tell that he would have been lying on the stand. But the fact that the opposing team had his phone records um, is even more just like delightful in this case. But like he is this extreme example of like, you know, everything coming out of his mouth is going to be a lie. So like, it's not usually that obvious. Like you don't usually have someone as unhinged as Alex Jones, like just spewing like nonstop bullshit. So like, this is the kind of like case study that you want to start with. Yeah. And it's a great case study too, but also we are all becoming more wired to pick up on deception and to pick up on incongruent like behavior because of social media for years like my generation we are looking at packaged pieces from local network news from pr people from handlers everything is packaged and manufactured because of social media we have real time behavior we have video of people giving a podcast interview you know just like Rachel Hollis we have you know we have like Alex Baldwin walking off the side of the road to give an impromptu press conference we have people on their own instagram when i did a a post about Matthew Morrison um, from Glee, who had to give a statement about how he did not do anything wrong, you know, with these women. We now can all see these tells. And it's also the culture of the millennial, you know, crime talk of all these people who love true crime. But what Alex Jones did on the stand is he's already such a bombastic character to begin with. So everything he does is so exaggerated. But to watch a real person react in real time. Like what we noticed on the stand, he was put into a corner. He was like cowering in a corner. So we're looking for someone who gets defensive, someone who gets angry, someone who has exaggerated gestures. I don't know if you remember in the clip, like they gave him a piece of paper to read and he's shaking it and looking at him and in anger, like, how dare you give me this, this um, piece of paper? Very Colonel Jessup from a few good men. I mean, that's what it was. It was like Daniel Caffey, Tom Cruise. 
coming at him. And so it's that in the fluster is when we see the real. And so when his eyes were bulging and he's looking at it, it's that fear. He was terrified. And that was the tell. So even though his body said he was terrified, he was still trying to talk his way out of it, which is another way saying he lied. Love it. Love it. And yeah, I mean, it's like so unfortunate that like this trial had to happen in the first place. Like the fact that we have this man (laughs) spewing these lies about the most horrific situation imaginable, like Sandy Hook. But the fact that then we could get a little bit of justice from him being like so embarrassing and his team being so embarrassing. Like, I guess it makes sense that Alex Jones is such an idiot. Like he would hire a bunch of like idiot lawyers, I guess, like the, the most like biggest dunce of a lawyer I could like imagine that's sending, like not only sending phone records, but the other lawyer was like, and you didn't, then also like add some ask for them back yeah Yeah. they could have yeah they could have struck them from the record but they what they didn't but in a way though it's it's good that this happened because maybe it would prevent someone from doing it in the future and it kind of we're maybe getting away from this idea of extreme you know extreme commentary you know it would be nice you know what someone asked in my tiktok you know what my thoughts were on rush limbaugh and it's like it doesn't matter. He's dead. <laughs> There's nothing to talk about with him. He's gone. Yeah. And now so is Alex Jones. I mean, not, I mean, he's still alive, but I mean, his career is. So some of these things, these shifts, you know, need to happen. So I, I don't mind seeing a guy like that sweat on the stand. Well, yeah. I mean, and just like Fox News in general, like I imagine it's mostly like sea of gray hair watching. So like Rush Limbaugh, is dead, but like there's still people tuning into these extremists. I'm not saying like extremism is going to go away, but like there is going to be a shifting tide of something because the average age of like your Fox viewer is much older, I believe, right? Yeah, oh, well, it is. It's it's a lot older, heavier male. But you know what's interesting, Emily? Today I saw in the Wall Street Journal they did an article about something else that I did a TikTok on, which was Radio Shack. How they're they're trying extreme marketing, so they had a very douchey brand of a guy behind this, you know, running the Twitter account, who was crass, you know, rude. They're getting into crypto, so it's all a part of the brand. And what was interesting is when I, I did the um, the TikTok on it, and it was my daughter who noticed that I didn't even notice that Radio Shack responded to my TikTok, but it was a very tepid response. And she said, oh, it must be a different account. Like TikTok is not extreme marketing. I thought, well, oh, good on you, um, but it's not working. All the franchise owners are not pleased with this extreme move that they've made, this extreme shift. So maybe we're getting away from just extreme everything right now. Well, I mean, maybe, I don't know. I like to say progress happens one funeral at a time. Um, but, (laughs) but but, But at the same time, like some of your most successful brands today are extreme, like Duolingo on TikTok or Wendy's, like, they are very, very full on, but they do it right. They do it right. Like, I don't consider them extreme. I consider them to be more clever. You know, like they're okay. not offending people. And like roasting, I think, is different than the Radio Shack, like sexual content and oh, like misogyny. What, I, what, what, kind you know? of, what kind of comments? Because I mean, like I did just see, <laughs> I'm trying to like, you know, I, I'm connecting with brands right now and I'm trying to convey like what the TikTok landscape is. And I just... Uh, in my research, like came up with a video of like Duolingo making a video about drinking Duolipa's pee. Like they literally made that yeah. video with million. Like so, it does get sexual with them um, and with a lot of brands on TikTok. But like, what is Radio Shack doing? That's like, what's their douchiness? It, well, they're douche. Well, and it is douchiness. I mean, because that it's like that bro culture, which it's not as if I'm a prude, you know, by any means. But business is still business. No, but sh- t- what? Like, I'm just so curious. I'm like, looking. Yeah. So that's the thing. I'm not prepped. I'm trying to find. Oh my God. I'm, I'm the really, articles. I'm putting in the hot seat. Sorry, Molly. You're just like. No, it was something like their edgy brand. I'm trying to find one. Uh, like he said. Shaq intern here. I wanted to take a sec to reflect on my post. I know you're expecting me to say in my wildest dreams, I never thought that tweet would go viral and and to apologize. But I did because I don't know that shit was fire AF. No, we didn't get hacked. And no, I'm not fired. Buckle up. 
bitch. And I believe if I remember the tweet was about something about being wet, you know, and it was just, you know what? It was like, ugh, really? It was like one of those tweets. I can't find it, but you get the idea. So it's not, it's just not working. It's not working for them. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm looking at, oh my God. Are you oh seeing it now? My God. Oh my God. I want like, yeah. I'm finding yeah yeah one from this is this is from June 2022. I'm sorry. Look, I've said it before. I'll say it again. This is not the podcast. If you have kids in the car, um, this is from the official Radio Shack account. If you find a squirter, marry her. That's it, squirter. Yes, not wet squirter. That was yeah. it. Yep. Um, which mm-hmm. is like, yeah, no, I'm not a prude either. But it's like, you know, it's some gross bro writing that and so it's like you like no i there's a difference between being a prude and like not wanting to be like disgustingly catcalled on the street and that's has that energy like that's exactly what it is that's exactly what it is i love that it's like as a female you could read that and feel like someone is leering at you and it's just gross it makes you feel gross and objectified and that's not what marketing is like a brand cannot stay alive if half the population is completely offended by your brand yeah and it's like maybe for like a passerby what duolingo is doing is the same but it's not because it's 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 a play on words of duolingo and duolipa like that so they're like jokingly obsessed with duolipa and they've built up to this, like they've had this ongoing bit where they're obsessed. And also the fact too, is that it's not just sexual. I think that's what also like adds to the fact that it's, it's not just some like weird, like horned up owl. Like they also will be like, you know, we'll kill you if you don't like practice too. Like, yeah. like they're, they're like, they're kind of but just there's like a cleverness to it. They're clever, clever and, edge. Like, edgy yeah. all around. And so it's just like, yeah. So it just works. Um, yeah. They're also funny. Like you have to be funny it's like it's like radio shock thing reminds me of those comedians who are just like gross and offensive and they're like i'm a comedian it's a joke like don't you get jokes like <laughs> exactly i'm sorry for the people who i offended you know with that joke you're right like edgy is different than just gross yeah right yeah. It, it, there's a difference yeah um it like 100 and so it's just one of those things where i'm kind of like pitying <laughs> a bit the brands that are just like entering this landscape and like trying to like be like what do we do with this like where do we even begin it's like and like everyone's holding up to Lingo's like the example and they're just like <laughs> they're just I like know. you know um I think there's a lot of like nervous uh I was gonna say older folks but you know what probably too just like people that just want to like make soap or just like have a brand and be like, I don't, do I need to be like weird and like stalking a celebrity? (laughs) Exactly. Do I need to show my high school scumbag photos about my soap? Do we need to do that? Yeah. 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 Um, okay. So I want to move on to like one more, we'll call them case study before we go. Um, of our little list here, did you have one that especially spoke to you? Um, yeah. So, well, you mentioned two and I can, we can do both because one's real quick, the Victoria's Secret babysitter, you know, being flagged just quickly. What I wanted to say about that one, um, the singer songwriter Jax, uh, who was on TikTok, social media, she was on American Idol and she knew how to package her. Yeah. Yeah. I think everyone, I think I didn't know she was on American Idol, but I think most people, she has enough, like 20 million view hits where she's like making up songs with the kids she's babysitting and yes. got all these like record deals from it, right? Yeah, and, got, and she made the Billboard, you know, charts. So I mean, someone definitely not not you know in in my uh, ecosystem by any means, but I certainly saw her on TikTok, and I admired how she was able to capture a value system and put it into a song and package it to get the notice of Victoria's Secret because that means someone at Victoria's Secret had to handle this. So it's a PR. It is the definition of a crisis that you have to manage when your brand is being, you know, slacked in in like a a TikTok video and song, like a chart topping song, you know, what do you do? What's the case study for that? Well, so for anyone who didn't see, like she wrote a song, I think it was called Victoria's Secret. Yes. Yeah. Victoria's Secret's in the title. Yeah. Yeah. And Victoria's Secret had an issue with this. 
Yes. And they, and because she was essentially saying that Victoria's Secret and brands like Victoria's Secret made her feel shameful about her body when she was young. So inspired by the girl who she babysits, she wanted to write this song and produce it. Okay. Um, and I did a quick post about it, a TikTok about it, how she was able to commoditize a value system that meant something and saying it in a very impressive way and how she leveraged it by using the girl who she babysits for. So they're all in on it. But oh my goodness, the amount of people who lambasted me for calling her a babysitter was so annoying because they just, they didn't get it, right? Like it's it's not about that. It's like she she is, first of all, she is a babysitter, but that's part of the narrative that she's creating. And the fact that she had the attention of Victoria's Secret and they had to put like a crisis crack team on it right away to manage it. And they had, they responded with social media. They reached out to her. They cowered to her. So that's what I was admiring what she did. Um, and she was able to capitalize on it. And the the topping was that she replied to my post and said, I am a babysitter, which I love that. I absolutely Why love were, that. What were they upset about, about you saying a babysitter? Oh, because I was diminishing her talent. She's not just a babysitter. She's a singer. She's a songwriter. She's on American Idol. She's a blah, 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 blah. Like You're yeah. not giving her resume. Okay. First of all, people don't even realize when they expose themselves for like creating this hierarchy of like of jobs where it's like they're like ranking it and they're like, how dare you? And it's like, OK, uh, back up. Like, yeah. Since when when do looking we do after, babysitters? Looking after yeah. children is a legitimate job. You yes. are putting it on the rank where you're saying, oh, you're reducing her. Also, mm-hmm. that is her brand. Even if like that's not how she makes most of her money. I know her as the babysitter. Like that's her brand. Exactly. Her brand is the, oh, is I'm yeah. just a I'm just a babysitter. And now people pick me up like that is her like origin story. And so exactly. Yeah, but, you know, the culture on TikTok when people yeah. get, you know, blah, 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 and then and then you get the community guidelines and then you just go back like, please. And then it comes back on and it's fine. But that was a case, though, where here a song like there's no crisis playbook for what do we do when a TikTok famous person writes a song about us shaming everything that we do as a business to make money? Like there is no playbook for that. And Victoria's Secret, you know, they did the right thing. They tried to reach out to her and and coordinate with her like some type of response. She, I guess, rebuffed it. I mean, we don't know what happens behind the scenes, but it definitely was a win-win for both of them. So a successfully navigated crisis. Well, what was successful in your view on both sides? Like what was successful, would you say, about Victoria's Secret's approach and her approach, the babysitter? Excellent, Excellent question. Excellent question. For Victoria's Secret is that they respected her brand by responding. There are a lot of people in this business. I know you know, Emily, you're younger than me, but I deal with the same type of people. They dismiss just the culture of social media. So if you had someone in the Victoria's Secret hierarchy there that said, just let it go, it's nothing. Someone at Victoria's Secret said, this is something. Or a firm they hired said, this is something and we need to respond to it. So they give the respect to what Jax was singing, but she's also representing a sample of many, many other of their stakeholders or their customers. So the fact that they did that, that is what needs to be done nowadays. And what Jax did, she was smart. She leveraged being a babysitter. She is one, but she leveraged it. Um, And, you know, she really is a singer songwriter and she needed a hook, right? Like, and that was her hook. So she was successful in that too. And I liked how she was sweet about it. Like she was just saying, Hey, it's like, Hey, Victoria's secret. Like, this isn't cool. Could you change? Like she wasn't blasting them. She just was like delicately letting them know in a catchy little bouncy song. So I, I like that story. But like, just to, I, oh my God, I hate the phrase devil's advocate. Um, cause it's, <laughs> but it speaking, works. Yeah. But, well, but speaking of, I think probably speaking of douchiness, it's just cause usually it's the douchiest dudes who are like, well, not to be, I'm going to be devil's advocate. It's devil's like, advocate. And, and I tend to say like, and oh, then trash you. Yeah. 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 I'm like, well, the devil doesn't need an advocate, but for, <laughs> for argument's sake in this, like the fact that they're basically kind of sending her a cease and desist, like, I'm just interested in like your view of that as a positive thing, because I would, oh, yeah, from cool. my uninformed, like non-expert, I would think like them maybe ignoring it might be better on their behalf because it's like the Barbara Streisand effect where it's like the more attention you call to something, the more it could like bring attention to the song itself. Right, right. Yeah. So, but there were two tracks there. So lawyers are allergic 
to apologies, accepting accountability for anything, admitting to anything. So when lawyers are involved and we get into a cease and desist for the PR uh, crisis communication council, it's the worst thing that you could possibly do to it. It's, it's putting a flammable liquid on a fire. We don't like that at all. The tack that Victoria's Secret did that did work is reaching out to her. Like they had the Instagram post. I don't know if you saw it, where it was a handwritten letter um, to her, tagging her. It was taking accountability. You know, like, thank you for doing it. It's that tact that works. But when you attack someone, especially a sweet babysitter, not in this environment, people don't go for that. Okay. I love that. So yeah, it's the handwritten note of it all. Like that makes it kind of like, Mm -hmm. oh, we're sending flowers and we're like, we we just want to talk. Okay. Yeah. That is, yeah. I see that now, like as a well-rounded, like both of them responding appropriately, I would say Mm -hmm. like, by the way, like Victoria's Secret. This is just kind of like an aside, but I am loving watching them flounder around and try to like desperately rebrand and cling to relevancy because they terrorized my youth and like Mm -hmm. anyone coming of age during the like 2000s. So I'm just like loving them suffer. Yes, they're not off the hook by any means. Like I'm not championing this brand by any means. I'm looking at this particular case study uh, for this incident, I thought was good, but yeah, as a brand, they need to make a significant shift in how they reach women. I mean, no, neither of us are saying they're a good brand. I'm saying appropriate to the situation and like, what else are you going to do if you're a Victoria's Secret? No, I'm, I'm talking about like objectively the situation. No, but I, I don't think there's any saving them. I think that I don't think so either. because we all remember the Victoria's Secret fashion shows. They didn't end that long ago. Um, like Rihanna basically took a hatchet to them and like buried them with her Fent- savage ex Fenty shows. And they, it's like, they're coming back from the dead. Like just being like, please like let us back in. It's like, it's just like watching this <laughs> again, train wreck. I'm just like, you guys just give it up. Okay. Like yeah. we, the whole like pink and the catalogs and the insane cultural event of their Victoria's Secret fashion shows. Like mm-hmm. we, we don't forget it wasn't that long yeah. ago. <laughs> Right. Yeah, absolutely like, right. Yeah. What are you going to, what are you going to rebrand as anyway? Um, so Molly, it's always so good to talk to you. Like the most fun, um, your opinions are fascinating. I could just sing your praises like all day long, but I'm going to let you go. Oh, um, but you do. And you're so nice. Thank you. I always love speaking to you because you're so smart and I love your perspective too, because generationally we all do approach things differently. And part of, I think my success in the business that I do is I, I, I look at from it from all ways and all generations and try and step in as many shoes as I can. And your point of view is just so salient and, and of this moment. So I always love speaking with you, Emily. And that's the reason why you're so successful. Oh my gosh, Molly, I'm blushing. Um, okay. You're the best. Okay. So, (laughs) um, for anyone who isn't already following your work, tell everyone where they can find you. Well, I'm definitely on TikTok right now. Um, Molly B. McPherson. And then my website's mollymcpherson.com. And, you know, for the next, you know, nine months or so, I am doing more of that, you know, small business, uh, more of that coaching aspect. If someone is dealing with their flare up moment or they feel that they're being canceled, I take hourly, it's almost like therapy sessions. And I I just love helping people because we get them right through it uh, quickly. So that's a way that you can reach out to me and work with me. Yeah. Okay. So thank you so much, Molly, and have a great evening. All right, guys, that's it for today. Don't forget to subscribe, leave me a review. Heck, leave a five-star review while you're at it. Follow me on Instagram. It's become a whole thing and TikTok. And I'll see you next week. Au revoir, mes amours.